Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How are we doing today? Everybody doing all right? Awesome. Hey, uh, before we get started, before we jump in, I know I heard them talking about Friday night. How many of you were here Friday night, ladies? Yeah, just you you can woohoo. We can we can woohoo for that. Uh, Matt mentioned it, but man, what a great night. I, 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 uh, I are not a lady, but I slipped in the back. And uh, man, just a great night. Uh, 150-something ladies, and you put everybody together, maybe 200-plus folks in the building that night. And um, I'm, it, it made me thankful for two things. One, it made me thankful for just the incredible volunteers that helped to pull off that night from our band and our media team that came the night before to rehearse and came and did the great that night. The guys that served that night, didn't do, the guys do great, ladies. They did a great job. Uh, yeah, they did awesome. Uh, and, and I was thankful for a lot of stuff. I was also thankful that we're expanding our facility uh, because even in this service, uh, it's pretty tight. I know you're, you're like the person beside me sitting too close. It's like the airplane, like you're sharing an armrest. You're not really sure what's appropriate. But uh, they start, here's what I'm told, okay? Don't hold me to this. Don't shoot the messenger. They start this week. All right, on our expansion. Yep, so they're go- we're going that way, 1,500 square feet on the other end for some office and classroom space. And we're going that way, 1,500 square feet. The nail salon's moving downstairs. They just had their final inspection. And we're going to pick up about 100 more seats in this auditorium, which is going to be awesome. So we're so thankful for that. Hopefully be done with that maybe by the end of the year, uh, if possible. But uh, I'm excited about that. But man, th- Friday night was incredible. And uh, my wife did a great job dreaming it up, planning it up. Yep. For months and months and months and months, I've been hearing about things she had in her mind to do for Rebel. And somebody said Friday night, they were like, I guess tomorrow Corey starts planning for the next Rebel. I was like, Corey's been planning for the next Rebel for about three weeks already. So uh, the next one's going to be great. Rebel group's going to be great. Sign up for that. Uh, but I'm so thankful for everybody uh, that was here Friday night. And it, to me, it just was a part of the continuation of the story of what God's doing right now in our church. Um, I can't tell you how much I love every single Sunday, even on a Friday night at an event like that, on Wednesday nights when students are happening and life groups are happening in this building, um, when you come up and introduce me to your friends, you're like, hey, you know, this is my neighbor, Steve, and, and this is his first time. And I'm like, what's up, Steve? How you doing? And then the next time you bring him back, some of you are smart and you help me. Others of you are mean and you don't help me. And you're like, hey, this is my neighbor. You remember them? And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh huh. But some of you are like, you remember my neighbor Steve? And I'm like, yes, yeah, Steve, I remember you. And so I love that. I love meeting your neighbors and your friends and your family members, man. And, and it's just, a, it's a part of what God's doing right now. And so I'm thankful for that and thankful for the, all that God is doing. And that, speaking of thankfulness, I guess, we're in the middle of this series that, uh, that I just felt like was the perfect spot for us. Um, last week we started and, and we're just moving towards Thanksgiving. Moving into this season, I told you last week, Thanksgiving's like the Super Bowl of eating. And uh, so I'm excited about that. But really, this whole season is about gratitude and thankfulness. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip with me to Luke chapter 17. You can use your device if you want to. Most of the scriptures today will be up on the screen if you don't have anything to follow along. But Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to spend our time today. Uh, in the second week, if you, you weren't here last week, I'd love for you to go to our website, go to iTunes, and find the podcast just so you can kind of catch up on what God started last week in this series. So Luke chapter 17, we'll begin reading in verse 11. Now on his way, Jesus's way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. 
And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, this story is one I think all of us can relate to, not because any of us have leprosy, uh, but more in in a figurative way, philosophical way about what's taking place in this story. Now, if you're not familiar with leprosy, in this day and time, for what we're reading here in the context, what, what this would be is this would be really a general diagnosis for anything having to do with your skin. Now, there were some very specific things that were included, but they're just if they didn't know what was happening, but your skin was discolored or you had sores or, or you had some kind of flaking thing going on or you had acne or you anything related to your skin that they saw, that the, the people saw, the religious leaders saw, they might declare you unclean and say that you had leprosy. Again, there were some specific things spelled out in the law, but other things that they couldn't diagnose, they would just say, oh, you've got leprosy. And then there were some very specific things that had to be done if you had leprosy. You, you would have to you know, remove yourself from your friends and your family. You couldn't live in your home. You had to go outside of, of the camp, and you had to kind of remove yourself and live among people who had the same kind of condition that you had or other conditions like you had that made them too unclean. And then once you became clean again, once the acne went away, once the skin disorder went away, once the sore healed up, then you had to go and present yourself to the priest And the priest could then say that you were clean after allowing you to wait seven more days outside of the city just to make sure it didn't come back. And then you could say, okay, you're clean. Now you can go back to your family. You can go back to your home. And so the people who had leprosy were looked at as outsiders. They were outcasts. They were people that had to remove themselves. They would not have been people that just had that condition, but they're kind of walking around town, you know, hanging out with their family. They're in the market shopping. No, no, no. If they had leprosy, they had to be removed. They were outsiders. They were people that had something that you didn't want to catch. They assumed in that day and time, they didn't have the the benefit of modern medicine. They assumed that those people were contagious. Every kind of condition that might be described as leprosy had to be contagious, and I don't want to catch it, and I don't want to be called unclean, and so I don't want to be near those people, and so they had to be removed. And so when you start talking about those kind of people, you see that as they are interacting here with Jesus, verse 12 tells us that they were at a great distance. They were standing a great distance from, I'm assuming, the crowd of people that was following along with Jesus as he's traveling to Jerusalem. And so as Jesus is making his way between these two towns, he's going towards Jerusalem, they see him and they're at a great distance and they did what they probably always did because they were always at a great distance and they just yelled out to get somebody's attention. In this case, they yelled out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I'm assuming because they couldn't shop because they couldn't provide for themselves while they were considered to be unclean. They probably were used to standing at a great distance and yelling out at other people to say, hey, give us some food. Can you give us some water? If you'll just draw it from the well and leave it there, when you leave, we'll come and drink it because we don't want to get close to you. If if you'll just take some food and just lay it on the ground over there, when you leave, we'll go get it and we'll eat by ourselves because we're outcasts, because we can't fit into society, because there's something wrong with us. And while other people disengaged from them, Jesus engaged them. Jesus engaged them when they were in need. 
When they had something going on that other people avoided, Jesus engaged them. So what did he say to them? They said, hey, Lord Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus said, okay, go show yourselves to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I don't know if you catch what's happening here, but Jesus gave them some instructions that didn't seem to make sense. He says, okay, yeah, yeah, you want me to have pity on you? Okay, go show yourself to the priest. Now, I don't know. I honestly, I try not to read too much sarcasm into scripture, but it's, it's partly my spiritual language. So I'm assuming that some of these guys think like I think, and they're like, okay, yeah, we'll go show ourselves to the priest once you heal us. Like, if we go to the priest, we know how that conversation is going to go. It's like, hey, um, Jesus told us to come and show ourselves to you. And he's like, okay, well, you have leprosy. So tell Jesus, I saw it. Thanks. And then, like, I don't, how else was this supposed to take place? Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. But look at the end of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, when I read that on Monday morning, I had a little shouting party in my office because that really spoke to me and it spoke to some of the things that I have struggled with in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because for me, I want God to move and then I'll move. I I want a miracle and then I'll thank him for it. But Jesus was speaking with certainty something that they were still uncertain about. He he was speaking with finality, something that was still in process. He he was speaking about a healing when they still had the condition. See, he he thinks differently than I think. He, He speaks differently than I speak sometimes. It requires me to trust. It requires me to have faith that he actually knows what he's talking about. That when he tells me to move, it's time for me to move, even if I haven't experienced the miracle yet. Right? That's, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. Again, I, I'm thinking those guys are like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Well, I mean, we know the way, we'll do it. But here, I've got this little rash right here. Take that away, and we're out of here. We're, you keep on your journey. You're going to Jerusalem. Like you, you do the work, and we'll go do what you're asking us to do. We wait to be obedient until it makes sense in our head. My grandmother taught me a verse of scripture when I was a really, really, really young boy. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding, which is the hardest part of that. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We want God to direct our paths, and we want him to let us know the end of that path and the beginning of that path and every step along the way, and yet we're trying to figure it out. We're leaning in on our own understanding, and we're Trusting God only as much as we can still be in control. And Jesus is like, no, go show show yourself to the priest. And so they're like, okay, if you say so, Jesus, if you say I'm supposed to move, if you say I'm supposed to go, then I'll go. And so I'm so desperate for a miracle, even though I know how this is going to turn out, I'll go. And they start moving. And as they went, they were cleansed. What if your miracle 
is not in a moment, but it's in the process. What if what God wants to do in you is not suddenly? Now, there are some times that God very specifically did miracles in the moment. Like there was a blind guy, Jesus spit in the dirt, made mud, put him on his eyes, boom, he could see. There was a deaf guy, Jesus just stuck his fingers in his ear. He could hear suddenly moments. And God does that sometimes. That's what's necessary sometimes. But there are other times that God wants you to move before your miracle. He wants you to start moving to show that you trust him enough so that he responds to that. It's a test of our faith. You go all the way back to the early part of the Old Testament, and you see Abraham, old father Abraham, who finally had a child, Isaac. He was the promised child. He was the, the, the fruit that was going to bring all the descendants that God had promised to Abraham. Hey, you're going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. That's how many children you're going to have. And Abraham's like, man, that doesn't really make sense. Our whole family right now can fit in a little small sedan. He's like, no, 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 there's, there's descendants coming. Trust me. And then one day God says to Abraham something that's unthinkable. He says, Abraham, I want you to go up to the top of the mountain and I want you to kill Isaac. I think you broke up, God. What? What was... That doesn't make sense. I cannot imagine that conversation between Abraham and Sarah, his wife. Babe, I'll be back. I'm going to take Isaac. We're going to go up the mountain. I'm going to kill him. We'll be back. You, you got, what, babe? What did you say? Yeah, I'll be back. But if you read that story, you see Abraham take the servants and take Isaac and take all the things that were necessary for a sacrifice. And they can see the hill in front of them, Abraham says to the servants, the boy and I will go up and we will come back. He had to move before the miracle. He went all the way to the top of the hill, set up the altar, and Isaac was like, Dad, seems like we're missing one thing. We got the wood. We, I mean, we, we got it all, but where's the sacrifice? The reality is that if Abraham had not walked up one side of the mountain trusting God, he never would have experienced the miracle at the top of the ram walking up the other side to get up there. Sometimes you just have to move before the miracle. You read in the book of Joshua chapter 3, where God is leading the children of Israel towards the promised land. Moses is dead. Joshua is the new leader. And he says, here's the deal. We're going to lead you into the promised land, but you've never been this way before. And so because of that, what we're going to do is we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, out in front. We're going to put the priests behind, carrying that, going behind, and then all the people will follow behind. And here's what we're going to do. We already rolled the waters back coming out of Egypt. We're going to roll the waters back again so you can get into the promised land. But this time, here's what you have to do. Let the priests walk out into the water, and that's when it'll roll back. So Joshua's got to go to the priests and say, hey, here's the plan. Here's what God said. Everybody gets to walk across dry, but you got to get wet. You've got to move so that we can experience the miracle. As they went, they were cleansed. What have you been waiting on God to do in your life that maybe God's waiting on you to move first? Not because he can't do it. Not because he won't do it because he wants to know if you're just going to trust him. You say, well, I, yeah. Listen, I need a financial miracle in my life. The inflow does not match the outgo. 
and I don't know if you know this or not, but money doesn't grow on trees. It's like, I, I need God to do something. I, I, I've done everything that I know to do. God, I need you to do a miracle in my finances. What if God said, okay, start a budget. You're like, yeah, God, I will. When you give me the money, I will start a budget. He's like, no, no, move before the miracle. Maybe you got a bad report, and you immediately went to just the negative mindset and the negative thoughts. Man, this is what this means. This is what this means. I need a miracle, God. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. And what if God's saying, just go get a second opinion? You say, God, I, I want to, I've got some health issues. I want you to help make me healthier. And what if God's saying, okay, use the gym membership you've been paying for for 11 years. Because you can't get out of gym memberships. It's impossible. I don't know if you know that. You can't. It's impossible. He's like, yeah, just use it. Right? Just change your diet and do something different. Move before the miracle. You say, God, I need you to do a, a, a miracle in my business. We got, a, we got a, a, our balance sheet. Man, it's not balanced at all, and there's some issues, and we need to do a miracle. And he's like, okay, sell off that pet project that you have. Like, do the analysis. Call the guy back that wants to... I know it's your baby, but... You move before the miracle. What if that's what God's asking you to do? What if you just say, God, I need you to show up in my marriage. We need a miracle. We're fighting more than we've ever fought before. And what if God is choosing to do a miracle in your marriage one counseling session at a time? What if he's just waiting on you to say sorry, even though you think it's their fault? Move before the miracle. Do you trust God enough? As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. Here's what I've learned in my life. Obedience leads to the miraculous. Obedience leads to the miraculous. So they went, and they were cleansed. And, and I don't know the verse that's left out that would have been awesome. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if they were walking and it's like as they're walking along, they're talking, they're like, I don't even know why we're doing this. Like, we're going to get to the priest, and it's, where'd it go? I don't know if that's how it happened. Or I don't know if they had leprosy all the way to the priest. And they showed up, and they were like, priest, you know, this is crazy. I don't even know why we're here. Like, thanks for taking the time to meet with us. I mean, I'm not sure. Jesus told us to come, and so we're just, you know, we're just here, and we've still got lep. We had leprosy. Like, I don't know if that's how it happened. I wish that verse was in there. Like 15b, it just tells me how it happened, but I, I don't know. All I know is that at some point in the journey, as they went, they were cleansed. And it's like 10 of them all got cleansed, maybe at the same exact moment, and they all realized it, or maybe it was gradual, and they all were cleansed. And then one guy, one guy out of 10 says, I got to go back. I, I got to go back and thank him. I've been an outcast. I've been away from my family. I couldn't provide for my family. I couldn't work a job. I couldn't go to the market. Like I couldn't do anything. And now I can. I, I got to go back. And so he just runs back and falls at the feet of Jesus to thank Jesus. And look at verse 17. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? That's called a rhetorical question with a point. Where are the other nine? Now, Jesus 
was 100% man and 100% God, uniquely blended together when he was on the earth. And I don't know if it was his humanity asking this question. Like, I'm confused. I, were there not 10 of you that went away and all 10 of you were cleansed and only one? T- I, I don't know if that's why he was asking it or I don't know if maybe it was the God part of him that was asking it and thought, yeah, about 10% of people that I've done things for are grateful. Yeah, that's about right. And that one hurts because it's true. I know in my life, there's a lot of times that I know God's done something for me and I just do not express gratitude to him. I don't take the time to run back and tell him. I don't take the time to make sure that he knows how much it meant to me, what he did. He said, weren't weren't all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? I ran across this statement several years ago, and it's really kind of guided me. Unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude to the other person. Unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude to the other person. They don't know your intent. Like, you think about it, you're like, oh, I need to tell them thank you. And then it's almost like because we thought it, we check it off our to-do list, done. They, they didn't receive anything from you. You just thought it. You're like, oh, I need to send that text. Oh, I need to send that email. I need to write that card. I need to make that phone call. I need to let them know that I was thinking about them or that I'm really thankful for what they did for me. And then it's like as soon as we think of it, we think, oh, okay, well, that's, I pretty much did that. And they still don't know. They still don't know. They're on the receiving end. They haven't received anything from us. And so our unexpressed gratitude, even with good intent, feels like we're ungrateful to the other person on the other side. Unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude to the other person. Corey and I have been talking about this for the last few weeks. This this is something that she's really been helping me. I, I don't know if every married couple is like this, but the way that the Holy Spirit usually speaks to me is in the voice of my wife. It's amazing how much God sounds just like Corey in my head. I'm being dead serious. I don't even mean that funny. <laughs> my wife hears from God, and, and the other day she just asked this like random question, and she started talking about this concept, and, and it, it really kind of revolutionized what I think about gratitude and thankfulness. And she wasn't even talking about it in the context of this, this message or this series. I'm going to blog about it probably this week, but she said, you know, there's a difference in a compliment, an affirmation, and acknowledgement. She said, like, if you look at me and you say, you look nice today. She's like, I appreciate it. But I mean, like, you could say that to anybody. It's not personal. It's just like, you look nice today. Well, thank you. So do you. And so does the stranger that I just saw at the Mexican restaurant. Like, yeah, you look nice today. I don't know why Mexican works its way in. It just always does. I apologize. (laughs) You look nice. That's a compliment. Affirmation says, hey, that, that color really looks good on you. Like, that color kind of brings out your eyes. I'm affirming a decision that she made. Man, that, that, I mean, like, when you, of all the choices that you could make, you made a good one. I am affirming the decision that you made because it makes you look great. I love the way it brings out your eyes. Whatever. I'm affirming that decision. Acknowledgement is me saying to her, listen, you know what? We've got four kids, and they're crazy. (laughs) I mean, they're crazy. But you managed to get them off to school. You managed to, like, 
get all their homework with them and their lunches and mine. And at the end of all that, you still took the time to like get yourself. You look amazing today. I'm acknowledging what it took to get to the place that we're standing right now. And that's in the context of marriage, but in your work relationship, you can say, hey, good work on the project. Good job. You did great. Met the deadline. It was good. Presentation. I like the way you did the cover thing. That was really nice. That's a compliment. Affirmation says, hey, listen, re- I love the way that you did the bullet points on the thing. It really separated it out. I'm affirming something that you chose to do, a decision you made. Really good job on that. Something specific in the way that I'm con- well done on that specific thing. Acknowledgement says, listen, I know you're juggling four projects right now. I know we added some stuff to your plate when Sarah left. Man, you did an, you, not only did you meet the deadline, you got it in early under budget. Thank you so much for what you did. I just acknowledged that person. But if I just thought that, I thought, you know what? Mark's been doing a good job. I should probably tell him that. And then I never do. Mark doesn't even know that I saw it. It's unexpressed gratitude. I didn't acknowledge it. It feels like ingratitude to him. It feels like I'm ungrateful, that I don't even know that we added a bunch of stuff to his plate when she left. And he, unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude to the other person. But then look at this. The guy comes back. He thanks Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, that's, thank you so much. I thought there were 10 That's all right. You came back. Thank you. Look at this in verse 19. I'm reading from the King James Version. I love the verbiage here. And he said to him, Jesus said to the one leper that came back, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made you whole. When I read this, I was a little bit confused. Because why would he have to be made whole? He had already been healed. Evidently, there's a difference in healing and wholeness. Evidently, there's something different here about healing and wholeness. He had already been healed. He had already been cleansed. Like, he was already on his way. And as he went, he was cleansed and he was healed. And he could show himself to the priest. And as he went, he was healed. So why would there have to be any kind of declaration from Jesus to the man that his faith had made him whole? And what about the other nine guys? Were they not whole? It's not recorded. It's not recorded. All I can go on is what is written here. That ten men were sick. All ten were healed. And before they laid their heads on their pillow that night, only one man was whole. There's a difference in healing and wholeness. You've got a physical condition. You can be healed. But there's probably something... That because you have that physical condition, you also struggle with some emotional insecurity. And you also struggle with some spiritual doubt about a God that didn't answer your prayers the first 17 times you prayed for healing. And so you need to be made whole in addition to being healed. Maybe you say, listen, I've got a condition. It may may or may not even be as bad as other people think. But I'm an outcast. I have separated myself from other people. I've I've kind of positioned myself outside of the camp. I'm, I'm separate from my family. I'm separate from the people I work with. There's something that separates us here. There's a chasm. It's not your healing that you need. It's the wholeness that you need to go and join the group. 
there's a healing that's needed for your marriage, but there's a wholeness that's needed for you to be the right spouse for your husband or for your wife. There's a healing that may need to take place between you and a child or a a parent or or a loved one or a, a business partner. There's a healing that may need to take place because of a fracture that's there, but there's a wholeness that's needed in you to make sure that that thing sticks. There's a difference in healing and wholeness. And again, I don't want to read too much that's in scripture here. All I can go by is what we have in front of us. What's different between the one guy that was made whole and the nine guys that weren't? Gratitude. He took the time to come back and thank the healer. And so I don't know if this is what you would believe having read this passage, but here's where I arrived. That it could be that the key to your healing is to move before your miracle. And it could be that the key to your wholeness is gratitude. It could be that the key to your healing is to move before your miracle. And it could be that the key to your wholeness is gratitude. That's the only difference that we see. It's the only thing that we see that separates the one guy from the nine guys. That he just stopped and he ran back and he fell at his feet and he thanked him. And so today, I don't know what your needs are. I don't know what you're walking through unless you told me. But if you came today and you're looking for healing in some part of your life, it could be that God's asking you to move first. He can do it. I believe he will do it. But what if in this instance, he's choosing to wait until you show your faith and your trust in him before he provides the answer you're looking for? What if he's waiting on you to load Isaac up on the the mule and all the supplies for the sacrifice and you get to the bottom of the mountain and you just keep moving? Because at the top, he knows the sacrifice is there. So you just got to keep moving. How many miracles have we missed because we stopped short? We stopped short. I don't know what you came looking for today unless you've told me. I don't know. But maybe you've experienced healing, but you still don't feel whole. What if the key to your wholeness is for you just to stop right now and just say, God, thank you for what you did. I don't want to move past this too quickly. God, thank you for what you're doing in my marriage. God, thank you. We used to fight like crazy, and now we're not fighting near as much. Our money used to be a mess, and now it seems to be a little bit better. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. God, thank you for healing this situation. God, thank you for bringing wholeness to me. Let me be the solution to our marriage. Let me be the person who's working towards a cure. Let me be the one who says I'm sorry first. Let me be the one who picks up the phone to call my son or call my mom. Or Let me be the one when I walk in the office tomorrow, before I go straight to my desk, to stop by their office and just say, hey, thanks so much. Out of my insecurity, I probably wouldn't thank you publicly because I just, I was worried that would kind of put you ahead of me in the pecking order here in the office. Man, I know what you're doing. You're juggling. What if that moment of gratitude unlocks the wholeness that you've been longing for? What if the key to your healing was moving before the miracle? And what if the key to your wholeness was gratitude? 
I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude today. I just want to pray for you. Before I do, I just want you to take a moment. Just search your heart. Allow God to just maybe prick your heart about something that's going on that you haven't dealt with maybe. Or who do you need to thank? Where do you have unexpressed gratitude? And you just need to thank them. Your intentions were good. You meant to before, but you haven't done it yet. And so you just need to, you just need to thank them. Who do you need to thank? Maybe that's what unlocks the wholeness that you've been seeking. And maybe you've been praying for a miracle and God's asking you to move first. Where do you need to trust God more? Where do you need to believe that God is a God who keeps his word? Don't stop short for you to fully experience the miracle that God has in front of you. Keep moving. Where do you need to move before you've seen the miracle? God, I pray right now for every person in this room, any person that may be listening in the future of this moment right now through our podcast or some other channel, God, I pray right now that wherever they're at, that you'd meet them at their place of need. God, right now in our seats, that you'd meet us at our place of need. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you enough to move before we've seen the miracle that we seek. God, help us to trust you, to have enough faith in you to move before we've seen what we're seeking. God, I believe that that can unlock our healing. And God, I pray today that we would express gratitude, that we would say thank you, that we wouldn't just compliment or even just affirm, but we would acknowledge to the people around us what we see. God, help us to see them and to see what they're doing for what it really is. God, it could be that that's the key to our wholeness. Heal our insecurities, heal our hurts, heal our doubts. God, let our faith and trust in you and our ability to express gratitude towards others unlock wholeness. God, this season is about more than just eating a meal, spending time with family. This season is about a heart of thanksgiving. Let us experience that like never before. And as we do, would you heal us and make us whole? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 